Good morning. This is Tom Clark with the Father's Heart Podcast. Also, Papa Tom's Tales, a grandfather's bedtime stories. I'm here today with my good friend, Dave Henderson, and we're going to discuss a very interesting subject. The topic of our podcast today is how living with the right mindset brings true success. Not just success, but true success from a biblical perspective. And so we want to share some things that we uh, will reveal that God has revealed to us, that we'd like to reveal, reveal to you, about the war between the spirit and the soul. So many people, we have seven and a half billion people today running around this earth, <clears throat> most of them in their souls, mm -hmm. which is their mind, will, and emotions. And we live in a country today where feelings has become paramount to everything we see in the media and everything that bombards our eyeballs. Right? Everybody's competing for eyeballs, all the businesses like Google, and Facebook, and mm -hmm. all those big tech companies. They want eyeballs, eyeballs, eyeballs. How do they get it? They get our attention by our emotions. We even have a teaching going on in the schools today about mathematics. It's basically, it's two and two, four, well, it depends upon how you feel about it. It's, it's no longer facts. It's no longer truth. And so these podcasts are our attempt to move against that, push against that, because we are interested in truth and the truth of God's word. Now, what does it say in Hebrews, uh, Dave, about the truth of God's word in well, Hebrews 4.12? Yeah, the scripture tells us that the uh, word of God divides between the soul and the spirit. And when we're talking about soul and spirit, we have to understand it was the New Testament that introduced the idea that man was a triune being, that he had a body, a soul, and a spirit in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. So we know that man consists of these two great parts other than his physical body. You know, he has his physical body, and then he has his soul and his spirit. And so you have to ask yourself, why is God wanting to divide between the soul and the spirit. And then, you know, what is wrong? Which one is the better one to be in, the soul or the spirit? Well, a lot of us, because of our Christian teachings, would automatically jump to the point of saying, spirit, of course. <laughs> and and we will not understand really what we're saying when we're trying to delineate between the soul and the spirit. So <clears throat> the scripture is pretty clear on how to tell where the source of something comes from. And when uh, Tommy was saying that, you know, we've got 7 billion people in the world and we could probably say six and three quarter billion were walking around in the soul man. And it's an ironic thing that everything is dependent upon the way we emote, which is kind of related to the um, word for a snake changing his skin, by the way. And much of what we call our revivals, our movements is just emotions that's going on. But if you read the older biblical writers going back into the in the early church and in the long through the history of church writers, church uh, fathers, they don't even consider the emotions an important part of man. None of the ancient writers did either. Aristotle, none of those guys considered the emotions at all important because they they talked about the fact that the emotions changed based on just whatever happened that particular day that motivated you. 
And so we have to understand that in God's view, he's not here to, to make our emotions feel better. Our emotions follow in when we're in right order. You know, the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. So the emotion that we call joy or happiness, you know, people try to delineate, say, well, one means long-term, the other just means uh, circumstantial, but whatever you want to define it as, the emotion that we call joy that ex explodes in our lives only has an established capacity when we're in the righteousness of God, which makes us at peace with God and at peace with everything around us. You know, when Jesus broke down the middle wall partition and made peace, he didn't just make peace with man. He didn't just make peace with us and God. We were at war with the angels. We were at war with the entire universe because we had rebelled against the God that created it. And then God broke it down and made peace on the cross. When we received that, the, the process then is that we move into uh, peace. And that peace means to be settled. And then joy comes out of that. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's our strength. So how do we find, basically, how do we find God's movement in everything that will move us in a spiritual world, not just in the soulish world? Because there's a lot of imitations of things that are done in the soul. Oftentimes we have our meetings that are soulishly oriented. I'm not saying you can't be happy, jump around, do all those kind of things. What I'm saying is a lot of times it's speaking out of the soul and it's part of man's soul that's being glorified. And even the redeemed glorified flesh is still the flesh. <laughs> you can't redeem the old Adam. You can't. God does. And in the new creation, he raises it from the dead. A new being is what God does. So we oftentimes rely on these good old patterns of things that make us feel better but they're not really sourced in the in the proper place. They're not. Yeah, um, consistent with our purpose today of the right mindset. Mm -hmm. I'd like to share some thoughts that the Lord had put into my mind over the last week. And they really came to me out of ministering to my own children about this area of their souls. Because the enemy was attacking, as you know, the enemy doesn't attack our spirit. Can't, won't succeed. He attacks our mind and our emotions, mm -hmm. which is in our soul. So one of the blogs that I wrote, uh, Rediscovering the Truth You Knew as a Child. A child instinctively <clears throat> learns to live spirit first, which is what we're going to talk about with here with the right mindset. The right mindset is living spirit first. Unless we become like a child again, we shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Why wait? And we begin to realize that children live spirit first. They haven't learned to live out of their souls yet. So recently I had a conversation with one of my adult children who successfully overcame a period of anxiety in their life. The anxiety, which could have led to a panic attack, was initiated by a traumatic event through which fear entered his mind. The fear struck a chord within his soul. All of a sudden, he became frightened about what was going to become of him. After some process thinking, prayer, and meditation in the word, he remembered that as a child, he knew in the depths of his being that everything was going to work out all right. Romans 8.28 Through the traumatic event experience, he lost sight of that truth. Thankfully, he rediscovered this truth again, and the fear and anxiety left him. 
everything is going to work out all right for those who love God and have been called according to his purposes. Learning to walk spirit first is the proper mindset. The scripture tells us by faith, walk by faith, not by sight, allows us to overcome every worry, anxiety, and fear presented to our minds. That's a really good um, layout of exactly what we're talking about. We kind of garner our life and when we go through things, and oftentimes it's traumatic events that cause us to lose that capacity to be able to move in the way that we're talking about is we, we somehow lose that ability. And so when God brings us into the redemption, he moves in our spiritual man first. He inhabits us in the spiritual man, which is the candle of the Lord, the scripture says. And we have a place in our life that's untouchable by anything outside of us. That's our personal relationship with God. And then the war becomes over the soul of man. And it comes to us by reasonings, by ideas, by philosophies, by reactions that we have to things that happen to us. And that's why the scripture says to cast down all the imaginations and high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Those imaginations, that word is reasonings. The ideas, they say, it just doesn't make sense that this that's in the be. soul. That's in Those the soul. Reasonings in the Those soul. things are pounding our mind and, and we have to align our soulish man which is the middle ground between our physical man and our spirit man, we have to align that with what the word of God says because our spirit man, being the candle of God, the presence of God, moves by the spiritual man and by the word of God. So we have to start aligning our, our soul's man. That's why the scripture tells us to have the mind of Christ because it's Christ dwelling within us. Yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me, the scripture says. Mm -hmm. It's through our soul the enemy attacks us with fear so the other thing the lord revealed to me this past week was why fear spirits are so expert at what they do mm -hmm. remember remember we had a president called franklin delano Roosevelt, fdr once said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself the truth is those who know the heart of god the father as their abba as it says in hebrew or their daddy or papa have nothing to fear because they're in their spirit you can only know god in spirit and in truth if you know god in spirit and truth you can overcome any fear some things in life are so simple and yet so profound that we overlook the real truth behind them take for example the effectiveness of fear spirits operating to disrupt our lives by causing us to be afraid it never occurred to me that fear spirits are themselves full of fear these spirits really fear punishment and their future, and for good reason. That has struck me. That is why they're so expert at their jobs of causing fear in us. That is their destiny, not ours. The children of God have nothing to fear if God our Father is for us. Who can be against us? That's a, you know, the great word today about not being in fear. We've spent the entire year and several months watching not only society around us crumble in fear. You know how the scripture tells us, and we always wonder what it would be like when it says men's hearts failing them for fear. Right. We've seen this, but the church itself has trembled in fear. Many of the churches not even still yet open out of fear. 
And Jesus told us, just like he told Peter when fear Peter was. Yeah, the fear of death. Jesus told Peter when Peter went out to walk on the waters that Jesus said, come out. He said, bid me come. And he said, fear not. And the, the disciples were sitting in that storm. And these are fishermen. These are guys that are unused to storms. They were sitting in that storm scared to death. So it was one whale of a storm. There's no question about that, right? Maybe, you know, shockingly big. But they were scared to death, even as fishermen, of what was on them. And Jesus said, fear not. He said, peace be still. So we, if we are walking in Jesus, we can walk in Jesus to the place where we're no longer afraid of death. That we don't see death as death. You know, we don't see death as death. Death is not death. Death is moving into the life of God in the next arena. Not like the New Agers always say, well, I'm going to go to another arena, come back with whatever the nonsense they come up with. Because they're just trying to throw up a, a false front against the reality of what they know is facing them. We know for sure the scripture says that when we die, we are with the Lord. To be, to be physically dead, we are with God. We are with Jesus Christ. We don't pass this world in the way that the unbeliever does. And so we have nothing to fear. The only, thing, the only reason we fear is because we let the reasonings of this world tear us up, and we also live with regrets. When we're living with regrets, we say, wow, I can't die now. I got to do this. We walk in fear, and we, and we meet people that you say, why are they in utter fear like this? They're in fear because of the fear of the unknown, and we know the known. We know what's coming. You know, our destinies are not just on this side of the veil. Yeah. We have destiny on the other side of the veil, too. Mm -hmm. So why should we be afraid that we've got to accomplish everything we're supposed to do now because we don't, we got, if we die, we don't want that to happen. When in the truth is, we have destiny before on this side of the veil and on the other side of the veil. You, you made me think, or you, um, I did think of a scripture that supported your idea of the fear of death. Because I had a son of mine uh, who had, was having panic attacks, and he was able to overcome the panic attacks because uh, he realized that the fear of death was the mother of all fears. So God showed him in his spirit how to overcome that issue in his soul by realizing that he did not have to fear death. And once a believer comes to the place where they do not have to fear death, then the enemy can't use the thousand other fears that are derived from the mother of all fears against him. The scriptures, Hebrews 2, 14 to 16, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, referring to Jesus, likewise shared in the same flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their <clears throat> lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Let me read you another uh, blog that I uh, had this week, which is consistent with this podcast on the war between the soul and the spirit and the soul. Feeling financially insecure? Our enemy wants us to feel free, wants us to feel we don't have enough. Feeling financially insecure, our enemy wants us to feel we don't have enough. The evil one wants us to think our father is not a good provider. Fear in any form blocks communication with our dad 
and the subsequent blessings that flow from his table. One of the names God calls himself is Jireh, which means provider. You may remember the song Jehovah Jireh, though I prefer to call Abba Yahweh, since he told me to call him Yahweh. Anyone who knows their dad, Father God, as their provider, will always feel secure. The enemy of our souls works his hardest to prevent God's children from knowing him in this way, so he can torment them with the fear of insufficiency, not having enough. When presented with this fear, those who buy into it will forfeit the grace and blessing that could have been theirs. Jonah 2.8. Reacting to this fear, we become self-reliant. Yet the opposite is true. If we let go of our pride, which is self-reliance, we give space for God's <clears throat> blessing and his power in our lives. You know, sometimes that people walk in fear because they don't really uh, understand uh, the, the Lord that they're walking with. And so... If we set our hearts on God, then our heart will respond to his heart. The scripture says, deep crieth on the deep. And our heart will respond to his heart, and we will be happy to be wherever the Lord, just like Paul says, he said to be uh, uh, dead would be to be present with the Lord. Our heart is crying unto him, and if we die today, we're with him. And if we don't live in regrets, and if we just give up our regrets and all the things we fear that are not working out the way we think they should work out, because most of the time what dominates our lives is the feeling that we don't have enough control over things in our experience. Mm -hmm. And we have to yield that to God himself. We have to allow him to be in charge. That's what, when you first got saved, everybody always tells you, you know, let Jesus have control of your life. And then so we say, okay, yeah. And we think that that refers to just the issue of heaven or hell. And then from then on, we say, okay, now I'm in the driver's seat and let's get going, you know? And then we oftentimes have all of these great soulish plans for ourselves. These great plans, we do great things, we are great witnesses, we're doing all this stuff. And it oftentimes is in our soul. And it becomes real that it's in our soul when we have to face the issue of whether we're gonna live in fear or whether we're going to live just in faith. When you live in faith, you have no fear. You know, perfect love casts out all fear. And, and faith operates by love. So when you have faith, you don't have fear. You're just completely fearless with the things of this world. You don't worry about your finances. You don't worry about anything. That doesn't mean you're irresponsible. It just means you don't worry about these things. There's, there's a story... Uh, Tommy was telling a story about his father. What Can you explain that story yeah. about your dad and his life? I think because it really <clears throat> comes into this area of uh, feeling financially insecure. I was um, talking to someone who was concerned about their retirement, and uh, they um, were afraid they didn't have enough money. We're not going to have enough money. And I described in the story, it's a true story about my dad, uh, who uh, at the end of his life came to a, an understanding in the spirit of how to live life with the right attitude towards money and, and having enough. And the story is this. Um, my dad lived down in Florida, and uh, he lived in a, um, a one-bedroom subsidized flat, basically apartment, 
I did not have a car. Played tennis almost every day. And um, I knew he was living on $1,000 a month, which is what he got from Social Security. And um, later when he died, I'll, I'll tell you later when he died later, but um, the important part was I didn't understand how he was living on $1,000 a month. <laughs> so I went down to visit him one time. And uh, he said we would go to the buffet diner on the corner. So since I had a, a rental car, but he, we were going to walk anyway. So we walked over to the buffet diner that was on the corner, which was maybe a quarter of a mile from his, from his little apartment. And we went in there, and it was either four ninety nine or five ninety nine, all you can eat buffet. So we're in there, and we're packing away the food. I mean, we're there for two and a half hours. We're having multiple servings of eggs and pancakes and waffles and sausages and bacon. And even though I don't eat uh, kosher, I mean, I don't eat pork anymore. He was putting away most of the, the bacon, but we have fruits and you get the idea. We kept eating there and coffee and three cups of coffee and whatever we're talking, two and a half hours. Now, at the end of the time, um, I went to, we went to leave. I naturally was paying the bills. Like, maybe $12. I tried to give her a big tip, like $5 tip or something on the table. And uh, just as we were leaving the cash register, the cashier, this um, waitress who obviously worked there a long time came running uh, from the bag and she's Frank, Frank. That's my dad's name is Frank Clark. And uh, she says, you forgot your doggy bag. You forgot your doggy bag. And she had this big brown paper bag that you get like at the grocery store. And she said, oh, well, thank you, Helen. Thank you so much. You know, uh, he was embarrassed to ask for it because I was there with him. But I came to realize that she gave him that brown paper bag every day. And in that brown paper bag was his lunch and dinner. So $5.99, he didn't just have breakfast and packed it in. He also had lunch and dinner there. And that's how you live for $1,000 a month. I came to realize afterwards, while his apartment was maybe 250 or $300 a month, they didn't have any car or gasoline or didn't pay for insurance or anything. All he had to pay for was his food. But even with that, he used to give money away. He used to give away money to Jimmy Swaggart Ministries and all these TV evangelists, right? And then uh, at the time of his death, um, I used to send him $100 a month for Years, maybe five years, four or five years. And uh, at the time of his death, uh, I had power of attorney over his affairs. And um, and then also post-death. Post and uh, what happened was um, uh, I saw in his bank account, not only was he shocked that he was living on $1,000 a month, but he had $5,000 in cash in his checking account. And I thought to myself, how did he save $5,000 on $1,000 a month living? And then I realized it was the $100 a month that I'd been given him that he'd saved. And he saved it because he wanted money in his checking account to pay for his burial. How do you like that? <laughs> and that was a person who was in his attitude towards money and his attitude towards life had completely changed from when he was living his life. When he was living his life, a high on the hog, so to speak. Uh, most of his life, he was a very successful salesman. 
but he always liked the fast cars and the and uh, you know expensive clothes, expensive cars. Uh, always picked up the check, even though he didn't have it. Went into debt way over. I mean, he was in debt at times, two or three times what his annual salary was in short term debt. And the topic was more. Because this is the kind of thing that you know, it's financially it doesn't make sense, right? And so he, he was totally wiped out by the time he was older. He had no assets. He always lived in like that's on Social Security. But that was his uh, thought process. And yet he was shown the favor of the Lord from these women who took care of him when he went to the buffet dinner. And that's how he was able to survive. And he, he didn't see it at that point as that was a bad thing. He was enjoying it. He was happy now, right? Even a little bit later, uh, a few years after that, not too many years after that, he ended up in a nursing home. And I went to visit him the 12 hours before he had passed away. And in that uh, 12 hour period, I learned a lot of information. Um, one of which was, uh, he told me that uh, it was the perfect ending to a perfect life. That's quote unquote verbatim what he said to me. And I called him, my wife and said, Janie, I said, dad, my dad said he was the perfect ending to a perfect life. And she said to me, was he delusional? Like he, he had a crazy life with all sorts of addictions, you know, <laughs> alcoholic addictions and sex addictions. I won't go into all that, but the point was, he, from a behavioral point of view, you couldn't say this guy was the perfect life, but he was saying he did. Or God told him actually, even more so. God told me it was the perfect ending to a perfect life. I was going to have the perfect ending to a perfect life. Was going to have three days before, and. Uh, I looked it up and what it meant was perfect didn't mean perfect like he did everything right. Perfect was complete. Complete. It was a complete ending to a completed <clears throat> life. And then I then the other thing struck me is that the moment I walked into the nursing home at one o'clock in the afternoon, he had passed away at one o'clock the next morning. Uh, he kept saying my name, Tommy, 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 Tommy. And he told me, my, he must have said that 40, 50 times. And the next thing he said, I love you, Tommy. I love you, Tommy. Another 40 or 50 times. And then after I, I was in, came into the room and that exchange happened, that's when he told me it was the perfect ending of a perfect life that God had told him. And it took me years later to figure out that there was a connection between I, as his oldest son of eight children, coming to see him. I was his legacy coming to see him when nobody had come to see him. That's why it was a perfect ending to a perfect life because I was there. You see that? Yeah. That's living life in the spirit. That's having an exchange or life experiences outside the place of the soul. And living a life where you're successful, true success in your attitude and your perspective not because of dollars and cents or 3D kind of expressions of what reality is. The reality may have looked a lot different, but the truth was beyond the reality. You know, when you were saying that um, the word perfect, which is the word teleos, which means complete, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus told Peter something, and this, this was kind of sticking in my mind lately. Uh, from some issues I've been going through. Jesus told Peter, he said, Peter, when you were a young man, you went whithersoever you wanted to. Yeah. And that's that's like most of us. 
you know, we like to oftentimes say, yeah, the Lord led me, you know, but most of the time it's us doing what we want to do. And maybe with the anointing of God on it. But he said, but when you're old, one will take you whether you would not go. And he was referring specifically to the crucifixion that uh, Peter suffered, right? The way he died. And, <clears throat> but oftentimes that's a good picture for our lives. When we get older, um, God takes us more. And that's why the, the scripture says, you know, uh, I commend you young men. This is in First uh, John. He said, I commend you young men that you've known Jesus from the beginning. And then he says, I commend you fathers that you've known the father. There we go. And so you get into this relationship with Jesus where he, you're solidly in him and he's taking you as his child where he wants you to go. And that's called maturing in the Lord. You become more complete. And it's actually the, the root of that word teleos was from a thing called forms. And you can study those yourself and understand what they mean if you read Aristotle's writings. And it meant the thing you were made to be, the actual thing you were created to be. All of those years, it took Tom's dad to get to this point. And all of the years we go running through our life and it takes us to get to the point where Jesus has finally got us. Not sinless in the sense that people say perfect, meaning no flaws in our life whatsoever, but complete in the sense that we are now able to be what God wanted us to be. Why did, why did God use many of these old men in the scripture? You know, everybody today hates old men, especially old white men. You take Abraham, you take Moses. Moses was particularly the left. They really yeah, hate old. They really. <laughs> Moses was eighty years old before he when, started. Yeah, be, before God sent him back into Egypt. This is after forty years wandering in the wilderness and with his family in in uh, in the desert. And then Joshua and Caleb, who were the next generation, the only survivors of the fleeing of Egypt, the only ones, Joshua and Caleb. When they went into the promised land, they were 80 years old. They were not youngsters. You know? These are not young guys. But they had the heart for God. And they had the heart, they had the heart of the Father. They had the heart of the Father. It took them that long to get to the heart of the Father. Exactly. Which is our podcast, The, it, the Father's Heart. It, and we realize even in churches today, the scripture says we have many teachers, mm -hmm. but few fathers. Exactly. There are few that really understand and press in to the heart of God. Not just knowing his presence, but also understanding uh, his heart because he shared his heart with them. That's exactly, that's exactly the point. Moses was the shepherd. He was the type of Christ. Joshua and Caleb, when you read about them, you're thinking, these guys are fireballs, right? They're going in there. We're going to go in and we can take those giants. But they were old men. And there wasn't any magic back in those days that made them young men. They were old men. But they were full of life because their hearts were fixed on God. And they were trying to deliver the people of God in their day. Right. They were out there to deliver the people of God in their day. So when they went into the land the first time at 40 years old. 40 years old. Just like you think, man, the prime of life. Right. They say you're in it at 35 you're in the prime of life as a man, 40 years old, let's go get these guys. And they still stood with God. They, they served the word of the Lord after God said, you're not going, these people are not going in. 
for 40 years wandering those people in the desert until every one of their generation was dead. Every one of them. Even Moses didn't enter into the promised land. Every one of them. So, but they had that heart of a shepherd. They stayed with the people of God. And it was their intention to be able to provide for the people of God the capacity to win, to be successful. Tell our audience that story, which I find so much humor in, about the, the man who was telling you uh, about the masks and how uh, aren't you concerned yeah. about the old people? Yeah, I, was at a, uh, I was at a grocery store the other day. And uh, there was a young man that used to come to our house quite a bit of times with my sons. My sons are all younger. And uh, he would come over there a lot and uh, hang out because it's mainly guys. I have a whole whole group of guys that come over. I call them my nephews. So he would he was working at the meat counter at the uh, grocery store, and I went up to get some meat. And, I, of course, I wasn't wearing a mask, right? And he just said, what, you know, what's wrong with you? Where's your mask? And he said these words. He said, don't you care about the old people? And I said, look at me. I said, I'm the old people. I'm 67 years old. And I don't want anybody to wear a mask because of me. You know, I'm the old people. I'm not the young guy. I'm the old guy here. But they really got you back when you had to go into the hospital and they put a yeah. mask and mask on you. And then they yeah. put the mask on top of the oxygen mask. Yeah, when, when they say insult to injury, right? When you say, I'm not wearing that mask, and then you... You have an issue that happens in your life, which I almost uh, I almost went on to the other side the other, <laughs> about two weeks ago. And I wake up in the in the hospital, in the ICU. They had an oxygen mask on me, and then a mask over the mask. Which <laughs> is like maybe you know maybe God was giving me a little slap there. I don't know, but it was just the irony of waking up and seeing that stupid thing on my own self after that, right? But, hey, praise the Lord. What can you say? <laughs> so we just want to encourage you to listen to uh, two old men sharing with you what it's like to walk in the Spirit and to win and have victory of your spirit over your soul, your spirit man over your soul. It's a victory every time. And if you're in a fight, there's only one time you have a good fight, and that's the fight you win. Yeah, and we can exactly. win every time and in the Spirit. We win the fight over the soul every time. Don't let your soul lead first. Let your spirit lead first and put your soul in the back seat. Thank you very much for your time and, and uh, your attention. And uh, yeah, don't forget to give your internet numbers. Oh, well. yeah, we got to uh, remind me about um, <coughs> going to uh, CS at cpnshows.com, The Father's Heart, or patreon.com, The Father's Heart. And my blogs, which I read three of them today, were, are, are available, I should say, on papatomstales.com. So thank you very much, and we'll see you uh, next week.